that Luke has been intertwining the two narratives. The birth narrative of, of John the Baptist and also the birth narrative of Jesus. These stories is leading up to the main narrative, which is about the redemption of God's people. These stories is leading up to the main narrative. But so far, Luke, is, Luke has written about John the Baptist. And in particular, he has written about John the Baptist's birth. When it comes to babies being born into this world, I put some thought into it, and I asked myself, how many babies are being born into this world? And I found a statistic that this particular uh, statistic estimated that 95 million babies are born into this world per day. Well, I'm sorry, that's wrong. (laughs) 95 million babies are born into this world, that averages out to three babies being born per second. Per second. And I believe that God has a special place for every baby that is born into this world. It's kind of weird hearing myself echoing. God has a special purpose and for every baby that is born into this world. You know, when we think about this, we also think about what Psalms 119 says, verse, verses 13 through 16, that God has formed the inward parts and he sees the unformed substance of every baby that is conceived. God knows who will be born, and when they will be born. Typically speaking, every child that will be born into this world has a birth story. All of us had one, despite how uh, general it may have been, but nonetheless, we did Like, for example, have you ever wondered when your child was born, what your child was going to be when they grew up? When, have you ever wondered when your grandchildren were were born, what the type of child they were going to be when they grew up? And this is exactly the question that we're going to ask today, because this is what the people who visited Elizabeth and Zechariah's home asked of John. As you can see in verse 66, they asked what then this child would be, or what kind of child this, this John will be. There is only three points I'm going to make today. The first point that we're going to discuss, going to cover the two verses, uh, verses 57 and 58. The first point is God's mercy and Elizabeth's joy. 
The second point is God's unmerited grace. And the third point is God's saving grace. As we have read already, we have come to the knowledge that Elizabeth has given birth. As you can see in verse 57, Elizabeth gave birth and she bore a son. Elizabeth was an 80-year-old, soon-to-be mother. She was in her third trimester and it was time for her to give birth to her promised son. And she did. And I imagine she was excited and filled with overwhelming emotions like any expecting mother would be. Her son, John the Baptist, was her first and only son. He was their legacy from the Lord. He was their reward from the Lord. If you recall that Elizabeth and Zechariah waited for years to conceive and to have a child. And their prayers were answered. And we also see in this particular text that Zechariah and Elizabeth, neighbors and family, wasn't aware that she was pregnant until the sixth month. According to Luke chapter 1, verse 24, Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself for five months. She may have hid, hidden herself to ensure the healthiness of her baby, or she probably hid herself, hidden herself, because she because people probably wouldn't believe that an 80-year-old soon-to-be mother was going to bear children. No one really knows why Elizabeth was in hiding during her pregnancy. Mothers, I have to ask you this question. What would have happened if you kept your pregnancy a secret from everyone until it was time for you to give birth? If your parents didn't find out until the day of that you have given birth, what would they have said to you? I said to you. I I have seen videos on YouTube of parents presenting their newly born babies to their own parents and handing their newly born babies to their parents and the parents and their own parents didn't even know that they were holding their own grandchild. So when they revealed, like, this is your grandchild, the grandparents were naturally surprised. And the likeness of that, this is what exactly Elizabeth did. You know, typically people hide their pregnancy until it is the right time to tell others. Uh, people keep their pregnancy secretive due to sexual sin. I remember, if you recall, what happened between David and Bathsheba. Uh, David committed adultery with Bathsheba, 
And he kept the pregnancy a secret until God revealed that secret to Nathan. And Nathan confronted David about it. And eventually God punished David. But Elizabeth, pregnancy was according to God's plan that started the saga of redemption. Again, Elizabeth's pregnancy was according to God's plan that started the saga of God's redemption. John's birth signified that the Messiah was coming. Remember, the angel Gabriel said, John was to turn many of the children of Israel to their God and to make ready for the people, make ready for the Lord, a people prepared for the coming Messiah. Listen, if God's promise promises would have been avoided if John was not born. God's promises would have been void or voided if God if John wasn't born. Look at verse 58. A scripture says her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. The word mercy in verse 58 means to have pity, uh, to have compassion for someone else regardless of who they are. God is rich in mercy, as Scripture says, because, he, because of the great love with which he loves us. And God was greatly merciful towards Elizabeth and Zechariah, as he is with those who humble themselves before him. The reason I say that is because Elizabeth and Zechariah couldn't have children if God would have never stepped in. If God would have never divinely intervened in Elizabeth and Zechariah's life, they would never have a child. This is why God was merciful towards them. God fulfilled his plan by sending his prophets to prepare the way of the Lord and also bless Zechariah and Elizabeth by giving them a child. In other words, he killed two birds with one stone. The burden of childlessness made, may have made Elizabeth feel disgraced and embarrassed. Childless, as anyone knows, that childlessness is a painful and sad reality for many men and women. For years, people are hoping to conceive so that they can experience the joyful moments of bearing children and becoming parents. But when the Lord allowed her to conceive, 
And she said, the Lord has looked on me to take away my reproach among people. She said that in Luke chapter 1, verse 25. He removed Elizabeth and Zechariah's stigma of childlessness and displayed his love through them by allowing them to conceive a child while they were still in their 80s or 80 years of age. Elizabeth to give birth to John without any health complications. You know, I I was kind of curious about how many 70-year-old, 70 to 80-year-old men and women are conceiving. And I only found one article. It was an article about an Indian couple conceived at the age of 70. Now they are in their 80s, and their son is six, years, six to seven years old. But what distinguished that couple from Elizabeth and Zachariah is that the Indian couple had treatments, fertility Zechariah and Elizabeth didn't have any fertility treatments. Which defining this as a divine miracle because without a divine miracle is a miracle that is that is without human assistance. God intervened in their lives. God was merciful. All of this adds to God's divine mercy. Mercy is as follows, just to put it in a practical way. Instead of penalizing a person for wrongdoing, be empathetic. Show compassion. Be forgiving towards them. Instead of repaying evil for evil towards someone, display the love of God to them. Because God was merciful towards us while we were yet sinners. Therefore, God not only showed great mercy to her, he also magnified her joy. God magnified Elizabeth's joy. Our Lord Jesus said this in John chapter 16, verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into this world. Ladies, many of you have been to baby showers, and you already know how heightened the, everyone's emotions are. Everyone is excited for the mother to be in and for the baby to be born. Likewise, when the angel, when the angel Gabriel was sent to Zechariah to announce the birth of John, he said, Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will have joy and gladness, and many 
will rejoice at his birth. The neighbors and relatives of Zechariah and Elizabeth fulfill the exact words of the angel Gabriel. They rejoice with her. Now, my wife gets exuberant. She gets giddy when I share in her excitement and vice versa. When, I, when she shares in my excitement about what I'm doing in my life, I get even excited, uh, more excited. Because it's confirming that I am doing something that is right. And more importantly, that the hand of the Lord is in my life and he is blessing me. Ladies, we should rejoice when others are, when, when others about, when we should rejoice when things are going on in other people's lives. We should encourage them and confirm to them that they're doing the, the, the Lord's will. And to a certain degree, you may not always want to be excited for another person. And even if you don't want to be excited for another person, still sharing their excitement because you're going to encourage them. You're going to strengthen their faith. Verses 57 to 58 leads us to our first essential application, which is God's unmerited grace. What is the meaning of unmerited grace? It means individuals cannot work or earn God's favor. Unmerited grace means you cannot do good deeds to have the favor of God. Just as much salvation is a gift of God, which is none of works, God's grace is also a gift, which is not based on works. God's grace cannot be earned. You cannot work for it. So when we look at the lives of Zachariah and Elizabeth, God allowed them to become parents, even though they were past childbearing age. God was favorable towards them like he was with Abraham and Sarah. And like these couples in which their bodies were considered biologically incapable of producing life. All of this represents a spiritual condition. Their physical condition represents a spiritual one. This is what I mean. Their their physical condition represents a spiritual condition before a person is regenerated before by the power of the Holy Spirit, they are considered dead. Before a person is regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, they are considered dead. 
Scripture says that Abraham's body was good as dead. According to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm sorry, not Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 2. It says, You were dead. Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you were dead. And the trespasses and sins in which you once follow, walk following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So when, when we look at Zechariah and Elizabeth's physical condition, Recall your spiritual condition before you came to contact with the Lord Jesus Christ. Recall the moment that you were spiritually dead and the Lord himself had to quicken or make you alive in Christ Jesus. Their physical condition of barrenness symbolized our spiritual Bankruptcy before we were regenerated unto salvation. Paul said it this way. Paul said, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is what it means to have God's unmerited favor. So Zechariah and Elizabeth couldn't boast about conceiving and giving birth to John. Just as much we cannot boast about our own salvation. Because it was all of God intervening, divinely intervening in their lives. Next point is the graciousness of God. The graciousness of God. As the story continues in verse 59, we see... John is only eight days old. Uh, Luke writes, On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And as you know, circumcision is the removal of a male's foreskin. A circumcision was based on the Abrahamic covenant. In Genesis chapter 17, verses, verse 12, uh, God said this to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and your offspring, you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And this is what Zechariah family did on the eighth day. The Apostle Paul did the same thing when with a young man by the name of Timothy, who was probably in his 20s, Paul circumcised him. 
So all of this is keeping up with the Jewish tradition. And traditionally speaking, Jewish people are still circumcising their children today. But what I want you to focus on is not circumcision, not the importance of circumcision, but the naming of Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, John. Zechariah and Elizabeth both were, both came from priestly families, and they were, and their priestly family was gathered into their homes, wanting to name their baby after their father, after his father, Zechariah. And this is a common thing. Uh, we do this today. Uh, we generally name people that may have been based on a spiritual motive. We generally name people based on tradition. We probably uh, name people based on the mood that we <laughs> were in. And I say that because I, I, I met a waitress at a restaurant, and her name was Happy. And when I read her name, I was happy. So I guess her parents did her name justice because she made me happy. You know, my wife and I, we have already given names to our children whenever the Lord bless us with some. And she dare me not to change their names because it's significant to her and also to me as well. You know, but when we talk about names, you know, God was specific about John's name as much as he was specific about Abram's name, who he renamed to Abraham. God changed, uh, renamed Jacob's name to Israel to be a representation of the 12 tribes of Israel. And when our Lord Jesus Christ met Simon, he renamed him, what? Peter. You know, so as I was just going through this particular passage, I was saying to myself, why was it important for God to name or give Zechariah and Elizabeth babies, baby name, John? And I thought about this passage. I thought about Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 15, 5. The Lord said to Jeremiah the prophet, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God knew John before he has ever before he had given him to Elizabeth and Zechariah. God set John apart to be a prophet. So when his family wanted to rename John after his father's name, Zechariah, it was non-negotiable. 
Because God has already already given John his name. And the meaning of John's name means that God is gracious. John's name means God is gracious. So according to verse 60, it is rightly said by Elizabeth that she told them no. She said to them, no way. His name shall be called John. So what did they do? I understand as a family, and especially in a Jewish culture, they wanted to give the child's name or name him after his father. So they bypass Elizabeth, start speaking to Zechariah, and wrote on a tablet to Zechariah, what would you, what is the name, as you can see, it says, uh, in verse 61, and they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. In verse 63, Zechariah asked for a tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. They all wondered. So the graciousness of God is presented in John's name. This is the start of God's redemption for his people. This is the apex, the the climax of salvation. And it started with John. So by renaming John after his father, was in direct conflict with God's divine purpose. Last point. God's saving grace. God's saving grace. As you can see, in verses 64 and through 66, that Zechariah, after he answered rightly, his, his mouth was loose. He was able to speak, and he started blessing God. And we all recall what happened to Zechariah when... He was unfaithful when he was un, in but unbelief. He was punished. He was punished by being deaf and mute. So when he confirmed the words of the angel by telling everyone that the child's name is John, he was also starting to have faith because after nine months of not talking and not hearing, I bet he would have had faith then. For nine months and yeah, for nine months he couldn't talk, he couldn't speak, 
And we know that to be true because if he did, he would never have to ask for a writing tablet to speak to them. So the proper response for him when he answered rightly that the child's name is John is, is that blessing came out of his mouth naturally. Blessing came out of his mouth. So they said, after he, his tongue was loose and he spoke to them, fear came upon the neighbors. And they all were taught about throughout Judea. And all, the, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was on him. What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was on him. As you can see behind me, the same question was asked of John in, in John chapter 1, verse 19 through 23. When John started his ministry, they said to him, and this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then are you, Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. So the question at hand is, what then will this child be? And John answered that question for us. He is God's prophet. He is the forerunner of the Messiah. We know and we have records of John's life. That he was uh, preaching the gospel in the wilderness, asking everyone to come to repentance, asking everyone to come to faith in the coming Messiah. And eventually he was locked up by Herod, beheaded. So the answer here is what, I mean, the question here is what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was on him, was with him. And I say that this is true. This is true, what's true for John. This is also true for us. Because through John's ministry came God's saving grace. He prepared the way for the coming Messiah who died for our sins. What I want you to do as we close 
I want you to look at the very last sentence in verse 56. It says, for the hand of the Lord was with him. Now I want you to ask yourself, from the time of your birth until now, has the hand of the Lord been with you? Is the hand of the Lord with you now? If he's, if it's not, if that's not the case for you, I pray and I ask that you will look at John's life because John's life points us to the saving Lord. John's life points us to Christ Jesus who calls us to come to a saving knowledge in him. So is the Lord hand with us? Is the Lord hand upon your life now? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I praise you. And I ask you that you will help us to see the beauty and the life of John the Baptist who points us to your son, Jesus Christ, who has prepared the way for your son so that his ministry will be known to the world, which is already known to everyone. And Lord, as we went through this text, we noticed that you have a special purpose for every person that is born into this world. And we know that it is your desire to save all people. So, Lord, I pray that this would be the case. For those who are under the sound of my voice or for those who we come in contact with on a daily basis, that we will be like John and point those individuals to your son, Jesus Christ, so that they can come to a saving knowledge in him. And I thank you for your written word. And I thank you for your spirit. That you may confirm these things to us. And I pray that your son, Jesus Christ, will be glorified. And I pray this in his name. Amen.